Testament, spiritual growth, perhaps best defined, was how to be the people of God. Okay? They had, they had the sacrifices in Leviticus. If you were going to be um, a worshiper of God, this is how you needed to worship God. This is what you did. Um, they had the Torah. They had the law. And knowing God was very important. Knowing and action were both significantly important in the Old Testament. All right? Now, I'm not taking anything away from that, but there was definitely something missing. New Testament spiritual growth it could be put how to become the people of God, but the best definition for that is how to allow the presence of God to transform you. This is what we are talking about right here. The Holy Spirit has been made available to you. That is not something that, that sounds cute, tongue-in-cheek thing that we say in church. The pre- God desires to be intimate. God desires to move in your soul, in your life, in everything about you. But oftentimes we just deny its power and toss it on the floor like it's not relevant to our life. But rather just something that we talk about on Sundays. The presence of God is available to you. Now, where did all of this begin? I want to I go back to um, Matthew 3, 1 through 2. There's a, uh, I did a study on this, so I figured I might as well talk about it today. Ma- John, uh, Matthew 3, 1 through 2 is where we read about this crazy guy named John the Baptist. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. All right, I, I, I don't know if anybody could ever, those of you that have been with me here for a long time, I don't know if any of you could ever say what it is that you feel like I preach on the most. But I think that's a word that I talk about fairly often, the word repent. And here's what, go to the next slide there, Nick. <clears throat> Repentance is defined, a simple way we can define this is to change, to transform to turn from and to turn to. Three pretty good summaries for what that word means. So when you get John the Baptist saying this repentance and people are coming out in the wilderness, you almost have to set yourself up in Matthew 3 as someone present at that time. We know all the answers to these questions right here, but but to those that were coming out to be baptized by John, these were all the questions that they would have had, okay? Who in the world is this guy? Now, you read the story about how it was foretold that, that, that Elizabeth would give birth to a son, John the Baptist, and he would be the forerunner. He would be the Elijah to come. But the people of that day didn't really know that. All they knew <clears throat> was that there's this crazy guy out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey, baptizing people. All right. Now, many people thought it is believed by many that John the Baptist was what was called an Essene, which the Essenes were part of the Qumran community, which is where we get a lot of our Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, this community was known for being isolationists. They were fed up with what was going on in Israel and the, the, the kind of religion where it was all about surface level stuff, but no heart stuff. And they weren't really that dedicated to God. So they're even, they're even talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they went out in the wilderness and had their own sectarian community and wanted to be the people of God. While they had some strange, a few strange practices, some things that were a little bit different for them. But many believe that John the Baptist was one of these guys. And so, two, why in the world were people coming to them 
they were coming to him because of what I just said, because you have all these people in Jerusalem and Israel and around the Judea in that time that were fed up with the religion of their day. They were longing for something new. They were longing for something more authentic. They were longing for something, well, better. I have to tell you, church, this is a great burden to me. It is something that I think about very often. That if people come to our congregation that are hungry for the things of God, and they come to a place like this and they don't sense the same fervor and the same hunger that is in their souls, it will be very confusing for them. And it will be something where they will long to, to, to wonder, what is this thing because I'm, it's not being fulfilled in, my, in, in this place. We must be a people that are hungry for God and are not just along the same old patterns of religion. Because there is a world out there that is longing for the real thing. And if we don't help them foster, lead them to the real thing through our own lives and through our own fervency and our own spiritual growth, they will fill that void with something else or they will fill that void somewhere else. This is exactly why the people were coming to John the Baptist. They wanted something real. They hadn't experienced something real in the, the, the religion of, in Judea and Jerusalem. What was this baptism of repentance and preparation for? It was a baptism of repentance and preparation for someone who was to come. Nobody really knew who that was. There was this expectation that the Messiah was coming. There was this sense of urgency, um, but they didn't really know exactly when. Or There was this feeling, this eschatological feeling that something was going to happen soon. There was an urgency in them. I think I've shared with you one of the reasons why many people, you wonder why, how in the world could ISIS recruit people to what they're doing? How could people, how could people be recruited into ISIS? It just doesn't make sense to us. Why would you want to go and be a part of a culture like that? Many of the people, the statistics are that many of the people that they're recruiting, some people are often people are down and out, but that's not always the case. Many of the people that join this group feel as if this is their moment, this is their opportunity to make an eschatological difference in the world. That's just a big word to say, the days are coming to an end, and I'm going to be a part of making that happen. I'm going to go on the side of Allah, and we are going to, to make this new kingdom um, happen. Okay, That's why they did it. And you see the same kind of people coming out of John the Baptist. They've had this sense of urgency. They have this sense that something is happening, something, something is near. And then finally, what is the community that the participants were being baptized into? Because if people be that believe that John the Baptist was in a scene, well, the Qumran community was a very closed community. So there was this, this wonder as, as to whether or not they were going to be baptized in a, into a closed community as well. But John told them, I baptize with you with water for repentance, but someone is coming whose sandals that I am unworthy to untie that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be the new mark of this Christian community. We need to understand that loud and clear. The Holy Spirit present in the life of believers 
is the mark that they are Christ followers. Not just that we said a prayer a long time ago, 20, 30 years ago. The present overflowing out of you, authentic, moving, powerful Holy Spirit is the presence, is the stamp that you are a Christ follower. Now, so here's what, here's what happened just right there with John the Baptist, is that he launched a new era of turning to, or turning from, and turning to. A new era of turning from and turning to, because who would ultimately fulfill number four? Christ. Jesus would be the new turn, turn to in this equation. And so here's what happens. I want you to read in Luke 57 through 62, pretty radical. Jesus goes up to, to fishermen. He goes up to people and he tells them to come follow me. And these people, they actually dropped their former occupations. They dropped everything that they were doing and began to follow Christ. These were the first examples in the New Testament of people who turned from something and turned to something. They turned from their former ways of life and they turned to Christ. And then this passage explains just the radicalness of what Jesus was calling his first disciples as he calls each and every one of you today to. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus replied. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. All right, go on to the next verses. And he said, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this passage warrants a lot of exposition and a lot of commentary that I won't provide this morning. There's, 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 a, there's some questions that are answered in exactly what these people were asking. Um, in a lot of contexts, many of them were asking to go back and receive their family inheritance, make sure everything at home was in order at first before they did this. Um, but the point of the passage is the but firsts. I want to follow you, but first. I think I've said this from the pulpit before. See, that little excuse is like every, like everybody has a tail end. Everybody has a tail end and all of them stink, right? That's exactly what is going on in this passage when they put the word but first. I want to be, I want to follow you, but first. And this was the problem. This was the first point of radicalness that Jesus was addressing when they use that language, but first, let me take care of this. Let me get this season of my life over with, and then I will be a little bit more radical. Let me, I've already done this and everything else. Let me, uh, and now I'm just at a season where I really can't do anything else. So let me take care of all this, and then maybe I'll have some time left for you. And look at that last line in verse 62. It says, no, Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Very radical statement there. See, there's a certain level of mediocrity that will destroy you. Like when you're here on Sunday morning, but wishing you were someone else, somewhere else. 
like when you're singing a song and wishing you really weren't singing the song at all. When you're wondering what's next, when, when you're wishing you were somewhere else, when you're not fully present, not really putting the hand to the plow, but rather just showing up. That is when we become religious. That is when we no longer allow the Spirit of God to transform us. That is when we are no longer growing spiritually. When we've re- replaced spiritual growth for just showing up. So here's what it says. So what does turning from and turning to look like today? Acts 28, verses 38 through 39. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. See, turn to and turn from was pretty simple when Jesus was present in this earth. The disciples could understand that. I'm leaving my former occupation behind, and I'm now following Christ, the Christ that they believed that would be like the the prophesied Messiah, that all of a sudden he's going to have the government on his shoulders. He's going to take over, and he's going to be king. We've talked about that many times before, how they had this wrong impression of what Christ was going to do. But what happens when the turn to is no longer here? When the Christ has resurrected and ascended in the the book of Acts chapter 1? Peter explains that for you right here. There's a new turn to. Turn from, repent, and turn to the Holy Spirit. Turn to Christ through the Holy Spirit. I'm giving it to you about as simple as I possibly can. And now we're back to the passage that Rod read and that you should still have in your Bible. Galatians 5, 19 through 25. This is what should be happening in our lives. There should be a turning from and there should be a turning to. And so I want to read this verse to you again. It says, the acts of the flesh, these are the turning froms, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. You know what? Debauchery has a loaded meaning, but one simple thing to simply say is going out and doing something you know you're not supposed to be doing. There's debauchery for you. Idolatry, worshiping something else more than you worship God. That could be your job, that could be money, that could be yourself. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Envy is something we could all pause on, especially in our world. Drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think any of you would disagree with me. The scripture has made it very clear here that this is what we should be turning from. These are the things that we should be moving away from. And there's not a single person in here, including myself, that when we look at this list... We can't see signs of some of these things in our life because we still have the flesh. We are still men and women in need of a Savior. 
And so now, in a moment like this on a Sunday morning, if you'll let the Lord speak to you, if you'll let the Lord move you, maybe a moment to write something in that turning from. I'm still really jealous. I'm still really envious. I still feel like I'm always in a fight with somebody. I still recognize that there's times when, if I'm honest, I just kind of say, kiss off God, I'm going to do my own thing. I was even doing my own sheet this morning, and guys, I probably came up with eight things on both sides of some things that I'm turning from and turning to. So then the next piece says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the stuff that should be radiating out of you, the stuff that is the evidence that God is real in your life, the stuff that was the stamp on this new community of people that, that were baptized by John, the stuff that would say, this man, this woman loves God. You know why? Because this is in their life, and I see it radiating through them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and I don't know, for me, perhaps the most important one, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so, this is the epitome of turning from and turning to. Now, I want to say that nobody in this room is off the hook today. I want to back up. Maybe, maybe if you're in this room and you're really honest, that I don't know that I could say that I have the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. This is something that perhaps you need to pray for, to receive, that as, as the Scripture says, to repent, to turn away. Say, Lord, forgive me for pursuing myself and my own agendas and for not pursuing you. That is the first step. But the second is also that you're sitting here with conviction looking at this text. And that, that as I shared a few moments ago, that there's some things right here in this passages 19 through 21 that I know that I need to be turning from. It's time to begin. It's time to begin to have a plan, to have some intentionality of spiritual growth in your life. Because I promise you, and this is the part where I don't think any of you will even ever take me serious. I promise you, it won't just happen because you show up. That's not the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus, as we say every Sunday, is alive. His power is, pre- is present But how we allow him to work in our lives is we yield to his power. We turn from the things of the flesh and we turn to the things of God. It's loaded in the Lord's Prayer. It's loaded all throughout the message of the gospel that his people will be people that are intentional about seeking him. And they won't just think that if I come to church enough, I'll get enough Jesus juice on me and I'll accidentally spiritually grow. It's not the way that it works. It is your responsibility, young sir. It is your responsibility, ma'am. I'm about to say young man and young woman. I'm so, still, still feel like I'm doing youth ministry sometimes when I go to West Ellick. 
is your responsibility to make spiritual growth happen. So don't leave, to, don't leave today without considering this sheet. Without considering what's, what are some things that need to be on the left side and what are some things that need to be on the right side. If you begin to do this, I would love, I mean it. I, I say these things almost every Sunday, and to be frankly honest with you, I might get one person to give me some feedback. These are the things that your pastor wants to talk about. These are the things that for four and a half years I've been waiting to talk to you about. This is what matters more to me than whether the Cincinnati Bengals win games this year, than whether my girls' basketball team wins any games this year. When I was 19 years old, I was called into the ministry, and I was called to do this with you. Not to act like it's not that important. I want to know what the Lord is doing in your life. I want to know how you're letting him move in you. I want to know areas where you're convicted and where you're recognizing it's time to change. And you know what happens when, I get to, when you get, begin to do that? I can't wait to do all of that with you. Because what was real for me when I was 19 years old is still happening today. I got this thing that's happening that I want to keep telling you all about. But I want to know that somebody on the other side is as passionate about it as well. I've heard, I've been in conversations lately with multiple people, and this is more prevalent among 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. Every once in a while, I'll accidentally get on Facebook. And by the way, I hate that place. But I'll accidentally get on, and I'll see people, whether I went to Bible college with or I'll see kids that were in my youth ministry. And I'll hear them saying things like, I don't know what my destiny is. I don't know what what God wants for me and where I'm supposed to be in life. We miss destiny when we forget about this because what you need to understand is that this is your destiny. The will of God for your life is not ultimately about where he will put you someday, what you will do someday. The destiny that is written for us in Scripture is what are you doing now? What is happening in your life now that you can celebrate? What are the opportunities that are right in front of you that you miss every day because you're thinking you need to be somewhere else or you need to be doing somewhere else? The word of the God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's ready to move in your life today if you will only let it. This is what you were created for, to experience the presence of God today. Revelation 3 gives us the ultimate reason for why. A passage that I've shared with you before, he says this, this is what the Lord says in his rebuke to the church in Laodicea. He says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And I want you to sense the heart of the Father as we read this last section. He says that those whom I love, I rebuke. 
and, I, and discipline. And here's that word again. So be earnest and repent. Be earnest and change. Be earnest and be transformed. Be earnest and turn from and turn to. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's a message of an invitation to a meal with Christ. This is, the, this is a paradox that I hope every Christian recognizes because this paradox is always true each and every day that we wake up and we have an opportunity to turn from and turn to. This, this last line is this paradox that as Christians, we are often, we, we have become comfortable with a certain level of spiritual growth. We've become comfortable with a certain level of, let's call it what it is, spiritual mediocrity. And we're comfortable sitting where we are at and keeping Christ at the door. He's close enough to us that we can feel good about ourselves and close enough to us that we can pray and cry out to him when we really need something. But we got our own little room where I don't really think he can see all of what we're doing in here and I'm going to kind of keep doing life my own way. Come on. If somebody's ever felt that before, this is the, this is the paradox of the gospel right here. The, the presence of God is longing to have a more intimate relationship with you, and he's knocking at the door, asking you to let him in. That is why we repent. That is why we change, so that we can be men and women that recognize the, the power of God desires to dwell in us. Now, I want to I wanna conclude, and, and we, were, we were kicking around a couple ways to conclude, but I, I simply want, want you to, to just take this in your hand. You should have one in your bulletin. And you can turn, and, and I don't even want you looking up at me. You have permission not to look at me, but please don't look at your phones or anything like that. Please don't look and see what time it is. just want you to look at this sheet. And if you have Galatians 5, 19 through 28 in front of you, this is what you're called to do. Why wait another day? Why wait another day to let the Lord in? Why, wait, why let that knocking on the door continue? Today is the day to say yes to Christ and to move. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. I say it again. I want to hear your stories. If there's something that's happening. If, you're, if, if you've got a testimony of what God's doing in your life, I have a couple people in here that will share those things. And you don't know how encouraging those are to me. And I believe we're going to enter a season where there's going to be more of that in our congregation. But there won't ever be more of that in our congregation unless it comes from you. We must be the people of God. Because there's a world longing that wants to come here and they're longing and looking for the real thing. And we must be men and women overflowing with the fruit of the Holy Spirit that can point them to Christ and open the door and let him in together. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each and every one here in your church. I said it before, but I pray that everyone here would know that you are not done with them yet. Their destiny has not passed.
Their destiny exists in today. A destiny that is found from turning from and turning to. Saying goodbye to the deeds of the flesh and experiencing joy to a greater level. Experiencing peace at a greater level. Experiencing faith at a greater level. And many of us have never experienced this other level because we've never said goodbye to the flesh. And rather we've chosen the path of mediocrity to try to hang on to a little bit of both. Lord, may we hear you knocking today saying that you desire a greater level of intimacy with us if we will only let you in. And now it is our call to make spiritual growth happen. So today I pray for everyone here that they would recognize this power of intentionality. I pray that that even just today would begin conversations about what the Lord is doing in our life. We talk so much about our families. Our families are great and what we did last weekend and, and, and what's happening in our lives, but we don't talk about the most important thing that is supposed to be happening in our lives. And as scripture said, you, we are a jealous God. And so forgive us, Lord, for not placing you first, but for rather saying, but first. Awaken our hearts today, Lord. As every head bowed, every eye closed, I don't do this often. But I long for the, perhaps some of you that the, the, the Lord is speaking to you today, and it's time to respond. And there's something, that's something kindred that happens in a church service like this where, where I can look across the room and others can be in their pews and recognize that you're not in this alone. God is working in me right now, and it's about darn time that I respond to him. And I don't have any other words to say. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But if the Lord is speaking to you right now and you're recognizing that, that it's, it's time for you to move from and move to, I just ask you right now, simple word of encouragement to other people, just lift up your hands right now. If that's you, look at that. Don't, you don't need to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 of you in this congregation are sensing the Lord's presence moving you and challenging you. Now, if we take those those that just lifted up their hands and we begin to interact with each other, we begin to make this real. I promise you, we will see spiritual growth in our congregation. But it begins with you allowing the Lord to move in your life and sharing with others, with with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, how real his presence has been to you. Lord, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Thank you for awakening us to your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.